God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have given heed to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. It's 1 Peter 1, verses 17 to 23. If you invoke as father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your hope and faith are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. So this is the second in our series, Going Through 1 Peter. Um, Simon challenged us last week to live not conforming to the force of empire and to live for the good of the city. And he shared practical ways of doing this, and we've shared some of those things, like the citizens' movements, um, and challenged us to speak, continue to speak truth to power and to challenge those that have. And this week, what I want us to do is to turn our view inward. Um, and this is probably not something that we do so much at Bloomsbury. We're very good at the, the, the going out and the active and, the, and we think. But sometimes I want us to look inwards and I'm going to invite us to do that today. To become more self-aware and to challenge ourselves and not, sim- not only the world around us. One of the commentaries I read this week around Peter said that we should never be content with a flabby and unexamined faith. And I really liked that sort of idea of the, the unexamined faith. I'm, I don't know if any of you are aware, I'm trying to be healthier this week. And that has come from, not just this week, this year, <laughs> that has come from introspection and looking at myself and deciding, actually, I don't want to be flabby and unexamined. <laughs> I want to get out there. I want to, to, to do better and to take care of myself and my body. And it meant that I had to discard things along the way. So I had to discard my overeating and my somewhat unhealthy relationship with chocolate. 
And perhaps there have been mistakes along the way and I have slipped up and I've not had such a great week this week. And so why should I not put the same ideas onto my faith as well? If I have a flabby and unexamined faith, is that healthy? Is that a healthy faith? Are there things that perhaps I need to discard along the way? And will I need to forgive myself if there are mistakes that are made? As we read Peter, he is calling us to live differently. I joked earlier about Simon, Ruth, and I being the Holy Three. But holy means to be different. I am quite different. I'm sorry, I don't know. Is that better if I speak like that? I am quite different. And that's okay. And I want to be holy. Peter is calling us to live out of our identity as church. To live out our identity as those called by Christ, loved by God. He's calling us to live as exiles in this world, as different, as holy. But how do we dwell in this identity? I've heard it said that to follow Christ is to know him. To know Christ means that you follow him. This is a good place to start. For me as well, to follow Christ is to love. I want to live a Christ-full life. Peter tells us what we already know, that we are outsiders in this world and that this world is actually only a shadow of eternity. That there is more to life than what we see in front of us. A Christ-full life is one that realizes, to quote Gladiator, a brilliant film, that what we do now echoes in eternity. To experience this Christ-full life, we must follow, we must love, we must be holy. We are being called to holiness. But to understand what this really means, beyond the kind of Christianese language that I'm using right now, perhaps I often find it helpful to work out what it isn't, what it doesn't look like, and kind of build a picture that way. A Christless life is a life that is lived in ignorance of Christ. And I don't just mean non-Christians, people who don't believe. But if we do not know Christ, then we cannot follow him. Peter tells us in one twenty-one to not trust the future, but only hope in God. Because we are in a time of exile. It's this idea that we are not actually bound by the worldly view of what time is, of what this world is, of the moments that pass second by second. Because for those that live in ignorance, time is always running out. 
It is always slipping away. Yet if you know Christ, then you know eternity. In eternalness, there is plenty. There is more. This world enslaves us to empty time. We fill our moments with money, success, fame, power, stuff. This is a life dominated by desire in a you-only-live-once, YOLO kind of way. Whereas the Christ-full life is the one who gets and embraces each moment Understanding that moment's eternal weight. What we do now will echo through eternity. It's not a life that is rushing to fill time frantically, grasping each parting second, filling it with things and activity and stuff to do. It is one that holds a godly and heavenly view, a view from a God who died a victim a victim of humanity's violence on a cross and chose that path instead of the one of overthrowing the Roman Empire. It is a view from a God that believes in relationship and believes in love and wants to connect. So it's not one of unilateral power, but one of a sustainer one who holds, one who sees. The one who endures suffering whilst refusing to give into that hate because life is not too short. A Christless life is a life that is lived in fear. Running after perishable things. To have an examined and unflabby, live and healthy faith. What are the things that we have to let go of? What are the unhealthy relationships that we need to break? We have to let go of our fears. We know love casts out all fear. So what are these fears that we hold on to? Well, if you are anything like me, your fears sound a bit like this. I'm not good enough. I'm invisible. I don't have enough energy. I'm alone. I'm dirty. I'm corrupt. I'm unlovable. I'm worthless. I don't matter. I'm incompetent. I don't have enough. I might miss out. I'm out of control. I'm being controlled. I'm broken. I don't like conflict, I'm misunderstood, and I'm not likable. Do you feel like you're not good enough? Do you feel that you're invisible sometimes? Do you feel that you never seem to have enough energy to give to another person? Do you feel alone? Do you feel broken, dirty, and corrupted? 
Are you afraid that you are unlovable, that you are worthless? Is your inner mantra that you are incompetent or that you don't have enough or that you're going to miss out? Are you afraid of being out of control and are you afraid of being controlled? Are you afraid that you are just too broken? Are you afraid of what the next conflict will be? Are you afraid that you are never understood and that deep down you're just not that likable? Because it's these fears that bind us and they enslave us to fill our moments with things that are perishable. With food, with drink, with material possessions, with success, with fame, with being different, money, career, the perfect image, whatever it is. Because it's these things that kept the Israelites enslaved in Egypt too. And it's the same God that offers freedom now. And offered freedom then. And will offer freedom again tomorrow. The same God that offers us love. And Peter 1, 17 and 18 says, If you invoke as Father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways as inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. In Exodus, when Moses meets God and has that encounter, he is afraid. Who am I? Not good enough. Not strong enough. Not clever enough. Not witty enough. I have a stutter. I will be with you. I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. The people were enslaved to humanity's Christless way of life, to a culture that was storing up treasures on earth valuing wealth to the point of actual human enslavement, so consumed holding on with those things because they feared that life was too short and it was going to evaporate. And God leads them out. You fast forward and you find the Israelites in the desert and they're succumbing to fear and building idols of perishable things again. But we have been set free, brought out of slavery. We don't have to build these idols of fear anymore. It is that God that calls to us to love, to holiness, to that heavenly perspective, to put others first, to stop worrying about our own needs. It's 
all of us here have privilege over someone else. Be that because of your gender, your sexuality, your color, your wealth, your education. We all have privilege. How do we let go of that fear that we will lose that perishable thing? The idea that there's not enough time, that life is too short, is actually a lie because the cross offers resurrection and eternity. It offers the kingdom now. Resurrection is written into our universe. Did you know that the atoms that make you up were once in a star? And before that, they were a cloud of dust that produced that star. And that star had to die first before those atoms would be scattered across the universe and somehow, I don't understand how, come together to make you. Resurrection is written into our universe. It is the essence of who we are, the star, the sun that gives us life. Is con- it does that by dying. It is constantly dying and giving out its energy so that we can live. Resurrection is written into our universe. The God who is the ground of being, who came to us in the culmination of the ages, Christ's eternal purpose, revelation, is that of Redeemer. He was there before creation. He was there with Moses. He's with us now. He'll be there when our star stops giving out energy. when our atoms atoms have scattered again, forming somewhere else, something else. He is the God who calls out to us through the unseeable specks of creation, through these atoms. Did you know that There are particles that act like waves, so things without mass. And the only time they act like particles is when you actually look at them and observe them. Otherwise, they don't, they exist, but they're not in a real solid way. And that's amazing. And I'm probably butchering that analogy, and the scientists in this room are going to freak out at me. But light is a particle and also a wave. I just love the idea that the reason that that might be happening is because that we have a creator that watches us and sees us and that's why we exist and that's why we're here 
because we are seen by our creator, our redeemer, and we are sustained. In that perspective, and that knowledge and that understanding and that knowing of God, do we start to enter a space where we can let go of those fears? Do we start to enter a space where we can be holy? where we can be different from the world around us. I've always found that self-awareness leads to greater compassion. An awareness of God and a God of love leads to even greater compassion than that. For me, reverence is awareness of God. What if we can get to a place where we're different because actually we know that we are good enough We let go of fear because we know that we are seen and held. We can let go of fear because God is with us. We let go of fear because actually we're never really alone. We know that we are beautiful and whole. We trust that we are loved. That we have worth just as we are. That we, were, that we matter and we were not a mistake. That we are competent. That we can lean on those around us that it's okay just to be, that control doesn't necessarily mean safety and that we can forgive others. Can we let go of fear if we start to believe that we will heal even if there is always conflict? And yes, we may be misunderstood, but... We're more likable than we think. What if we could start believing those things and holding those things to be true and let go of that fear? Could we stop trying to fill the moments with those perishable things? Will it lead us to security 
and to compassion and to genuinely think of others first. To be aware of those that we have privilege over. To be holy. Great God of all times, all places, and all people, your gaze of love on our lives summons us into being and gives us meaning and calls from each moment of our lives an eternal significance that echoes backwards and forwards through time and is never lost. And so we begin our prayers by remembering those who have gone before us. We lift before you in mixed remembrance those who have shaped us, those who have taught us, those who have made us what and who we are. We think of parents and grandparents, teachers and Sunday school teachers, friends and enemies and mentors and ministers. For both good and bad, we recognize the influences that they have had in shaping us. And in the midst of the complexities of our own lives, with all of our own insecurities and securities, we recognize and hold before you the complexities of the lives of others. May we find gratitude where gratitude is appropriate May we offer thanksgiving where thanksgiving is fitting. And may we find forgiveness and reconciliation in unexpected places. For that which has gone before, for that which we cannot change, we offer our diverse prayers and seek your gracious forgiveness. By your grace and by the intervention of your Holy Spirit, we give thanks that this day, we are more than the sum of our parts. And we rejoice that the realities of our lives transcends the heritage of our histories. So great God of all times and all places and all people, we ask that you will meet us in the complexities of this day by the transforming, resurrecting and life-giving presence of your risen Son, Jesus Christ. May we know in our time and in our place your healing and forgiveness. May our relationships with others be transformative moments of grace. And may our choices and activities reflect your love for each created being. Forgive us for those times when we think our days are unimportant. And may we know the eternal value that you place on each moment, the significance you attach to each action and interaction. And forgive us also for those days when we think our lives matter more than they do. May we know the humility of living that comes from following your example as we learn to reject the whispers of self-aggrandizement and the deceptions of our egos. And so we come now to pray for those around us, 
for those who affect us and those whom we affect. We pray for our families and our friends, for the intricate networks of relationships within which we exist and to which we contribute. May those who mourn know comfort. May those who are struggling find peace. May those who are hungry find sustenance. And may those who are poor find blessing. In a moment of silence, we hold names before you in faith that a world where a prayer has been offered is a world where transformation is coming into being. Great God of all times, all places, and all people, we pray now for a world beyond our sphere of influence, for countries we have never visited and people we will never meet. We pray for Christians who are persecuted and for those who persecute them. We pray for the political leaders who seek peace and for those who seek conflict. We pray for Israel and for Palestine, for Syria, Iran and Iraq. We pray for North Korea. May the current fruit of violence and conflict that is being born from the vine of the history of these troubled nations give way to the fruit of peace, justice and reconciliation. We pray for your world. Great God of all times, all places, and all people, help us to discern truth in the midst of lies and to have the courage to speak out for truth. May we resist the tendency to scapegoat others and learn instead to see where true suffering lies. May we learn to see others as you see them. May we learn to see your world as you see it. May we learn to see ourselves as you see us. May we learn what it is to live in the light of your gaze of love. Great God of past, present and future, may we be part of your inbreaking kingdom of peace, justice and reconciliation as together as your redeemed people. We live out your love for all people in all places. Amen. <laughs>